Okay, we're going to be in verse 1 through 17. We're going to cover a lot of verses today. 1 through 17. Now, it may sound weird when we get started, you know, reading all through here, but I, I promise they, they match. They come together. So, it says this. At that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he responded to them, Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will also perish as well. Or those 18 that the tower of in Siloam fell on and killed, do you think that they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, uh, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, listen, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, oh, sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and, and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year. But if not, you can cut it down. As he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, Woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly the, she was restored and began to glorify God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, There are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on one of those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrites! Doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he had said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated, but the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things he was doing. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open up your word to us here this morning. God, that your spirit would give us an insight and enlightenment, Lord, here this morning. Uh, Lord, in our minds, in our, in our spirits, God, in our heart, and in our, in Lord, in, in just everything that we experience with this passage here today, God, that you would open up our, our, uh, our minds, our soul to you this morning, that we may understand, that we may know, and that we may see and glorify you more here this morning through your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. Anyone ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? Groundhog Day, right? So if you haven't seen it, Groundhog's Day is this, is this um, film about um, Bill Murray <laughs> and his character as a weatherman, weather reporter, uh, a news reporter guy. And, uh, <coughs> and it's basically all about him living the same day over and 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 over again, over again. And he does different things every single day. It's like hundreds of days that he lives the same day over and over again, knowing that if, if he dies, he'll just right, come right back on. He'll kind of respawn, if you will, um, <laughs> on the same morning every day. He could die. He could you know, do whatever. He could change his circumstances, try to leave town. Nothing. As soon as midnight hits or he dies, restart it again at 7 a.m., fresh Groundhog Day and, you know, and Puck, with Puxatani Phil, right? And it's interesting. You know, he, so it's, it's interesting to see in the movie, go to, or eventually, of course, you know, he gets, sees, sees the next day, right? 
But it's interesting to see, it was almost like this, you know, fate was trying to teach him a lesson, to try to change him from a jerk, you know, uncaring jerk, to someone who cared, someone who saw people as people. It changed, you know, by the end of this movie, his personality and his character, literally his character as a, as a person, as the character in the, in the movie, and his personality as the character was changing. Which begs the question, if you could live one day or different days of your life, different seasons of your life, as a do-over, which ones would you choose? Think about that for a second. You're not talking about like this regret, like oh, I, I necessarily regret that, um, but if given a second chance, I would do this differently. I would do this better. Like now knowing what I know on this side, I would do this differently. As I always say, hindsight is what? 2020, which we did not speak of that year. <laughs> it gave us a lot of good hindsight, does it, did it not? Yes. Each day, think about this, each day of our lives is a, is a chance to live life differently, better. And this is called growth. This is called maturity, growing up in our faith. Every day is a new opportunity for good and living in agreement and alignment with God. Learning how to live, not with trying to have a redo and a, and a second chance, but taking that first chance to live that day, live that moment in agreement with God, to cultivate life wherever you can while you is still time, while you still have time. Now, it's interesting to, to think about these three sections and how vastly different kind of each one seems, but how they all come together to, to tell that same message, to cultivate life wherever you can while you still can. The, the third section in this passage, the, the, the healing of the daughter of Abraham, who had been hunched over, who had been disabled by a spirit for over 13, I'm sorry, 18 years Perhaps since birth, she may have only been, you know, 18 years old. But this illustration of this woman being healed on the Sabbath is an illustration of the first two. Bringing healing, that was Jesus' ministry, of Jesus um, digging around the root and putting down compost, fertilizer around the tree. This is what Jesus is doing with the healing of this woman. And so let's go back to that first part. Let's go, let's kind of... Piece apart this passage here this morning. We've got a lot to go through in 22 minutes. 23, 22 minutes and 40 seconds. Unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Now, in our world, we have these concepts of, of fatalism and karma. You do something bad and something happens to you. And we see these videos on Facebook or social media, instant karma. You know, some guy cuts you off or something like that, and all of a sudden, woo, you know, police officer, yeah! Karma! Karma's a payback! You know, karma's... Never mind. Actions, it's, it's almost like this karma and fatalism, it's like almost like as if this actions cause an indirect consequence. Like you do something bad and something else bad happens to you. They may, may or may not even be connected. It's like this karma, right? Well, okay, let me kind of correct that a little bit. So the actual Hinduistic belief of karma is that, was Hinduistic or Buddhistic, one of those two, where basically, like, your life is what, you know, all the karma that you earn is what makes you, you know, come back as a cricket or a cow in the next life, in your, in your reincarnation. 
So it's not like this, you know, you get what you, you know, you reap what you sow type. That's not what karma really is. Karma is specifically for reincarnation. So uh, just a little bit of education there for you a little bit. Um, so it's interesting to, to look at these different events that he's, ta that he's talking about and how their, their perspective is almost this, you, you reap what you sow or you do something and God judges you. You do something and then an indirect, ha an indirect uh, consequence happens because God is causing judgment. Uh, like, for instance, with this concept of Pilate mixing the blood with the, with the sacrifices. Um, and so this, there's not really anything else that we're told about this. Uh, the way that it grammatically is put in this passage um, actually is more of a Pilate killed them while they were sacrificing, while they were worshiping. And so it's more of an attack by Pilate. And if, if we know much about the... Uh, <coughs> about Pilate from jo uh, this ancient historian Josephus, um, he always characterized Pilate as this making an example of the Jews. So if the Jews step out of line, he makes you an, an example of you. Like, for instance, when there was a big uprising uh, in, the, in the years before Jesus was born, uh, the Roman Empire made an example of 2,000 Jews crucified between Jerusalem and Galilee and killed their families in front of them making an example. That was the kind of culture we're talking about here. Fear-based culture. Don't step out of line or else you'll be crushed. You'll be made an example of. And so this is what the context is talking about. When Pilate made an example of these Galileans. Where is, Ga where is Jesus from? Galilee. And all of his disciples are from Galilee. And so now there's nowhere safe that Jesus can go. As we'll find out later, Herod is trying to kill him, and now you know, we're discovering that Pilate's trying to kill him, trying to show Jesus, don't come here. You'll be made an example of, right? So now Jesus basically has to go to Jerusalem. Because you know, that's where he has to fulfill his calling, fulfill his mission of being the sacrifice on the cross for our sins at the hand of that guy. Uh, the second part, talking about the, the, you know, the Siloam uh, Tower, um, it, you know, fell upon them. And like, like I said, there's not really any contextual stuff anywhere else that we have outside of the scriptures that talk about these two instances. Uh, this is the, basically the only places that they, were, they are recorded. Um, so the, basically the, the point is this, that some men suffered at the hands of men, others suffered at the hand of inanimate objects, and everything happens for a reason. And Jesus is saying, no. It's not that God caused these things for a reason. I think this is one of, you know, we, we, we say really weird things sometimes in the face of, of people mourning. Something, an accident happens and, they're, and they die and you're trying to comfort someone at a funeral. Say, well, everything happens for a reason. One of the worst things you could ever say at a funeral. Um, or when suffering happens to someone. Because it's almost as if you're, you're in agreement with these, you know, these apostles or these disciples saying, who sinned, this man or his parents, to the blind man, man born blind? What happened here? You know, well, who, you know, what kind of judgment was God bringing on these men who died at the hand of Pilate, who died at, at the hands of, of the, the, the tower? Jesus is saying, no, you, you're not understanding this. This is not God judging people. But if you don't repent, if you don't change your mind, then you will also, like these guys, 
die. It's almost like for us today, we would say, you know, today would say, you know, do, though, do, do you think that those who died of COVID were worse off sinners than other people? No, but I tell you, unless you change your minds about God, you will also perish. You will also die. This whole context is about the continuation of chapter 12 and 11. Jesus, and remember, if you remember the point from chapter 12, what is the point of chapter 12? Fire is coming. Judgment is coming. Repent, or you will perish with the rest of Israel. Jesus is interceding. That's why his, his mission, that's his, his purpose, his message, his message is, repent for the kingdom of God is here. The true kingdom of God. He is waiting, he's like holding back the wrath of God, so that the whoever would put their faith or allegiance in him would not perish but have everlasting life, but have eternal life. If we've learned something in these last couple chapters, it's this. These last few weeks, we've, we've learned this, that Jesus is constantly focused on AD 70. And just as a reminder, if, if you haven't been, been on, uh, on these sermons, AD 70, you know, in the year you know, AD 70, um, Rome sends Titus down with, his, with all the Roman legions and surrounds Jerusalem, tears it down, and kills everyone. Sacrifices a pig on the altar to just completely obliterate their religion and, and just desolate Jerusalem. Kills everyone. They chase the rest of the remaining folks out to this, this, uh, this mountaintop refuge called Masada, and they start to build a siege ramp on the backside of it, and all of the people that were holed up in there committed suicide. Everyone who lived in Jerusalem died. The temple was destroyed. The entire way of life of, of Israel was destroyed. There were no longer a state until 1948. And so that is, that is what Jesus has in mind. Repent or you will also perish, either at the hands of the Romans or at the, because of the buildings and the walls literally collapsing around you because the Romans are destroying them. Change your mind about what's going on. Read N.T. Wright. He says these things. In line with the warnings he has issued several times before and will continue to issue right up to his own crucifixion, Jesus is making it clear that those who refuse his summons to change direction, to abandon the crazy fight into national rebellion against Rome, will suffer the consequences. Those who take up the sword will perish or die by the sword, or if not the sword, they will be crushed by the buildings in Jerusalem as the siege brings them crashing down. This is the context of what Jesus is saying. This is, the, this is what Jesus has in mind. He's, he's saying that I'm both going to die you know, and three days later be raised again. That's why we're going to Jerusalem. He's setting the, the mission and, and the trajectory for that. But he's also trying to change their minds as the crowds and as his, his disciples Stop putting faithfulness and allegiance to country over God. Let's let that sink in for a second. Be faithful to Jesus. Change your mind. Repent. We're going to talk about repentance here for a second. Repent. 
or you also will perish. So I want to, I want to, I know I've talked about this for a while, but I want to go into just kind of detail about, about these things. So repentance, circa 100, um, this guy named, named Jerome translates the Bible into Latin. So he takes the, the biblical Hebrew and Greek and, and puts them together. I think he actually may have only taken the Septuagint, but don't quote me on that. But he translates the Bible into Latin, which was the, the local spoken language of the Roman Empire. Roman Empire was, was Roman speaking. Was, I'm sorry, was Roman speaking. <laughs> Latin speaking. And so, so Jerome uses this word to translate the word metanoia, which we'll get to in a second. He uses penitent or penance which means in, their la- in, in, the, in the Latin language, to hurt, right? And then we see later on in circa 1300, repentin in the, in the Latin is, is, um, is translated into the Old English, and that means to be grieved over one's past and seek forgiveness. Feel such regret for sins, crimes, or omissions as produces amendment of life. So everything that we've known up to this point in world history, the connotation of the, of the translation of the word metanoia is hurting, is pain, is where we get, you know, the, the old practice of people taking cat of nine tails, these monks, and like flogging themselves to hurt themselves to pay for their sins, for penance, to pay penance, which actually originally comes from the pagan pantheon where people would do this to themselves as a way to earn the favor of the gods, earn the favor of Zeus and Hermes. Not Hermes, that was Egyptian. Um, Pluto and these, you know, these, these uh, Arte, you know, Ares, all these different you know, panthe- pagan gods, they would do this, they would penance, pay penance in order to get the blessings from that deity. And Jerome was a pagan who came and converted to Jesus. But he had that same mentality. He brought his pagan way of thinking into his translation of the Bible, and we've been paying for it ever since. But what, okay, so if it doesn't mean this, so penance is that, our, that act of contrition, fasting, pilgrimage. Oh, this is very important. This is interesting. So penance during the Crusades. So you know about the Crusades where, you know, where the Ottoman Empire was, was you know, had control over, over Jerusalem, and the Catholic Church was sending all these armies and knights to go and fight in order to to kill off the the, the, the you know Islam, to kill off the Muslims and, and to retake Jerusalem. That's what the Crusades were all about. It's interesting, is that they would use the Catholic Church used this concept of penance, of metanoia in the false sense, to get peop, get these these sinners to go into battle. Basically, this, they would go and confess their sins, and they'd say, "All right, here's your penance." Go and fight in the holy wars, and God will forgive you. Go and die for, your, for the Christian faith, and God will let you into heaven. Especially to pay back or you know, do absolve their sins. And so this is where, outside of the Crusades, on the other side of them, the Catholic practice of confession and the rosary come from. So you, know, they would go, you go into confession and say, I lied yesterday, and he's like, all right, you go, go and do eight Hail Marys and two Our Fathers. And so if you look at, at the rosary, I should have brought mine, um, <coughs> there's smaller beads and big beads. And big beads are Our Fathers, and you'd say Our Father, and then the little beads are Our Hail Marys. And many of you know this, right? 
And so your penance was to do this prayer, these prayers around the rosary. Is that where ring around the rosary comes from? I don't know. Just kidding. That's, that's, a, that's different. That's a di- that was a different plague. <coughs> but, okay, so if this is what m- repentance is not, this is what repentance is not. Let me say that again. This is what repentance is not. Right. Oh, wait. Here we go. Changing the slide. Here it is. Metanoia, metanoeo. Metanoeo. So, which I've said comes from meta, which means to be changed after, and noeo, which means mind or thinking. So, basically, afterward, you know, after changing your mind. So, change your mind. Shift your thinking. To, to change the mind or to come into alignment with God, to agree with God in your entire being, your body, your soul, which is your mind and your heart, and your spirit. Write this down so you can remember this point. Put it on your mirror to remind you, because this is a way that you can change your mind. Here, right? Metanoia is not asking for forgiveness. I want to make that clear. Metanoia is not asking God for forgiveness. <clears throat> it is about life, walking in the new life that you've been given because you've been forgiven. And because you've been reconciled with God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you are in Christ, If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. You are forgiven. You are set free. You are beloved. So metanoia is changing the mind to agree with God, either at the beginning of your faith, to come into faith, or the continuation, the growing and maturation the growth part of our faith, right? It's walking in the right direction because you've already altered course. You've shifted your trajectory into alignment with God. You wouldn't now know the good that you could or should do, that you are capable of doing, unless you had a reconciled relationship with God. So you wouldn't be able to have the life that you have now unless it was God. I would not be alive if it were not for the faith that my parents had that brought them together. And so there, I want to talk about this, this other phrase called cognitive dissonance now. Now, cognitive dissonance is the state of discomfort felt when two or more modes of thought contradict each other. People are adverse, are averse to inconsistencies within their own minds. This is basically when you disagree with something. In fact, it actually might deeply offend you, but it's true. You need to change. When confronted with facts and truth, in our, our minds and our opinions disagree with it, these have to change. Essentially, this, this week I saw a video 
And it was really interesting just to watch this discussion on this podcast. And this girl was espousing something. This guy was espousing, you know, he was talking about stuff like that. And she was super, you know, passionate about all this stuff. And like, and he just said a a specific statement to try to get her to work through her logic. And it was like, you saw the wall. Oh, I'm wrong. Everything that I just said was stupid and ignorant. Because what you just said completely annihilated everything and showed me that what I, what I believe was wrong. He was right, and she needed to change. But the, you could see the cognitive dissonance in, on her face. It just, everything stopped. And this is what we're talking about. This is metanoia. This is repentance, as we see in the scriptures. It is a humility and a willingness to change. Oftentimes, this is the hardest thing for us to do. To change our mind, to shift our thinking, to be okay that we were wrong. And to say that I was wrong. And not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right? Be okay with and have a humility with being wrong, especially when it comes to our understanding of God and our faith and understanding the Bible and history. Have a humility, have a a contriteness of spirit and mind to be able to receive new information and kick out old information that's wrong. When you realize your way of thinking, your way of life is wrong, change your mind. Metanoia. This is important. This is not a shaming, guilting, or or condemning thing with God. Metanoia is not a shame-driven thing. God doesn't guilt you into changing your mind. God doesn't shame you or condemn you into changing your thinking and threaten you with the fires of hell and condemnation if you don't act right. And it should not be so in the church. This is why God even said, this is in Romans chapter 2, do you take the kindness of God for granted? Do you see his patience and tolerance as signs that he is a pushover when it comes to sin? How could you not know that his kindness is guiding our hearts to turn away from distractions and habitual sins, to walk in a new path? God's kindness, as you'll read in in many of your translations, do you not know that it's God's kindness that leads you towards repentance? Metanoia. To shift your trajectory, to change, you know, to turn away from distractions and habitual sin. God's love and, and kindness, his mercy and his grace, the cross, the resurrection and spirit is given so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Romans Eight, a few chapters after this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has done what the law could not do by reconciling us to God. When they translated this in, into Aramaic, it, it actually could be translated as, do you not know that, the, that it is the fulfillment of God to bring you blessings? That's how they translated it into the Aramaic later on in the third century. What's the point? The point is, 
The path to judgment or perishing is unbelief and not coming into alignment and agreement with God and his truth. And the path to life and receiving God's kindness is faith and coming into alignment and agreement with God and his truth. That's the point of all three of these sections. That's the point of our entire scripture passage here this morning. When we look at the fig tree, you know, this, that, they got that three years, right? Then this is how, three years is how long it takes for a fig tree to be ready to produce fruit. And so they're expecting these things. And now, different people have posed different things of what these three, three years of the fig tree could mean. It could be like the three years of Jesus' ministry. It could be like the three different eras or a period, like, you know, Abrahamic, Mosaic, King, and then, you know, and now Jesus is, the, is that one year, one last year. Uh, others say it doesn't matter or it's just an illustration, something else. Um, but basically, the, the point of this is that Jesus is out there cultivating life into the soil of God's people. God is there cultivating life. He's bringing flourishing. He's bringing nutrients to the soil. This is the one year. This is the, the last chance. you got one last chance. And so what is this? The fertilizer and manure. These are things that bring nutrients and life into the soil. And then, and then what, what happens? The tree then, then therefore absorbs and sucks up the nutrients and it grows and it flourishes and it fruits and you're able to, to, to partake of the fruit and eat of it. And, and what is the, the fertilizer, the manure? What is Jesus's, what is Jesus, how is Jesus doing this, this uh, cultivation of the soil? It's Jesus's message and his mission. What he is preaching and what he is doing. All the, the miracles and the healings like we just read. All these things are cultivating the soil, putting nutrients into God's people so that they can have that last chance to grow and bear fruit for God. That's some good stuff he's throwing down. So cultivate life wherever you can while you still have time. This is the point of everything. This is the point of the healing of this woman. It's this concept of relational intentionality over religion any day. Cultivate life, not law. So love, not litigation. This is the message and mission that Jesus has given to us, his church. This message and mission that he has given. This was the, the message and mission of Acts chapter 2. Peter's great sermon in the, in the Temple Mount. Of all these things. And what was the final conclusion? Metanoia and be immersed, be dunked in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus the Messiah. In the name of Jesus, or as they would have said it, Yeshua HaMashiach. Be baptized, be, you know, believe, metanoia, change your mind about, about Jesus, and believe, put your faith in, pledge allegiance to Yeshua HaMashiach. Go, take life, Wherever you go, heal, minister, baptize, lay hands on. God will pour out his Holy Spirit. Go and love and cultivate life everywhere that you go. That is the whole point. Today. 
in the midst of tragedies and diseases, drought, famine, hardship, suffering, death. This last week, 50 people died in those tornadoes back east. It was incredible destruction. An entire town was completely wiped out. 200 miles, I heard, this tornado was on the ground. 250 miles on the ground. 50 people passing away. These are not judgments upon people. But unless people change their minds about God, they will all perish as well. We will all perish. We've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring into all the world that if they would put their faith, if we would put our faith, if the world would put their faith in Jesus, they will not perish but have eternal life. They will receive the Holy Spirit and spend eternity with God in his presence, in the kingdom of heaven, today and for all eternity. That is the purpose of this passage in scripture. That is the purpose of our existence as a church. That is the purpose of your life. To cultivate life wherever you can, while you still can. So every minute, every second of your life, how are you cultivating life in this world? Cultivating life in your family, cultivating life at your jobs, cultivating life in the public, cultivating life here at the, at the, in your church, cultivating life in your relationships, in your act groups. How are you cultivating life wherever you can, while you still can? Those are questions that we need to ask ourselves because that is our purpose. That's the whole purpose. Our mandate as a church, shifting everyday relationships into authentic community so that together we can live God's adventure fully alive. Cultivating life, fully alive. We're, we're, we're trying to dig around the, 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 the fruit tree of this world, trying to pour in, you know, put manure and put you know, fertilizer, put nutrients back into the soil of our country around us into our city all around us, into the lives of our relationships all around us, while we still can. To cultivate life, to breathe the breath of life into people around us. So cultivate life, wherever you can, while you still can. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We think that even the ones that sound difficult and harsh are life-giving because you are life-giving, Lord Jesus. You have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, that we can proclaim the excellencies of you, Lord Jesus. Because you are excellent. You are beautiful. You are life. You are love. You are joy. We glorify you with all of our Lord. Lord, I pray that you would empower us with your glory, empower us with your presence to to cultivate life in and through us in everywhere we go, every single day that we we live. That you've you've given us breath in our lungs to glorify you and to cultivate life everywhere we go while we still can, Lord Jesus. Be with us, Lord. Empower us for your mission and with your message of the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.